Today, I am thrilled to welcome Laura Vanderkam back to time and attention. Uh, Laura is the author of so many of my favorite books on productivity and time management. Uh, everything from 168 Hours, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, I Know How She Does It, Off the Clock, and my latest favorite, Tranquility by Tuesday. Uh, Tranquility by Tuesday guides you through nine of Laura's go-to strategies and principles for managing your time and attention better every week. And so I can make this introduction about myself. Uh, I think this book is also actually a great companion book if you've picked up my latest, uh, which we've been talking about on the podcast lately. And I absolutely loved Tranquility by Tuesday. I think of it as a master class in time management. And it's a thrill to have Laura back. So Laura Vanderkam, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, good to have you. Friend of the show, can we say? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we only have 30 minutes, so I thought it would make <laughs> sense to bounce around the book a little bit. Um, but before we do, so you highlight these nine principles in the book where we can bring more tranquil tranquility into our days. I'm curious, how did you settle on these nine out of all the, the principles that you explore and recommend and experiment with and pr practice yourself, we should say too, uh, how did you pick these nine? So I've been giving time management advice for a very long time and many people have sent me their schedules and asked me what I thought. And I realized over the years that I was giving a lot of the same advice, even though people's lives mm. look very different. Um, so at some point I decided to hone this down into the advice I was giving most frequently. So things that were applicable broadly, you know, you didn't have to have a certain kind of life for, for these to be helpful. And, and that's how I came up with these nine rules. Interesting. Well, how many kind of tactics do you think you have in your repertoire at this point, <laughs> practicing <laughs> and, and talking about this stuff for so long? There's more than nine. Um, but, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but certain things are, are more for one person than another. Like I could tell you how to have a shorter meeting, but what if your job doesn't involve meetings? Or, mm. um, you know, I could tell you how to make more time to hang out with young children if you are working a full-time job, but, you know, not everybody has a full-time job or young children. So yeah. these, these are the rules that are more... Um, broadly applicable, sort of regardless of your life situation, I think you will probably find these nine rules helpful for you. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I did as I was uh, reading through the book. And one of them that I was excited, and I'm going to do it this afternoon because we're recording on a Friday. Uh, one, one of them that I'm excited to do is plan on Fridays. And you mentioned in the book that this tactic is the one most people in your study wanted to try out. Uh, and I'm curious if you can describe for listeners what this tactic is about, how we can go about doing it, and also why it's so much more effective on Friday, uh, especially Friday afternoon compared to other times of the week. Yeah, so planning on Friday is rule number two, and it is a popular one. Many people who do try it continue with it. And I'm sure your listeners are, are broadly familiar with the concept of planning their lives. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they plan all sorts of things all the time. Um, but what I'm talking about here is a, a specific process for planning your life in weeks. I think every busy person needs a designated weekly planning time where you look at the entire upcoming week, um, because a week is the cycle of life as we actually live, the most rep common repeating cycle of life. Yeah. And you think about what you need to do 
over the next week. You think about what you want to do over the next week. And I suggest people plan their lives in three categories. Um, Think about your priorities for your career. Think about your priorities for your relationships. Think about your priorities for yourself. Figure Mm. out where these things can go. Figure out what else you need to do. Look to see if there are any logistical challenges that you're going to see in the next week or any long-term things that you need to go ahead and carve out time to do. Make sure you've got something you are looking forward to in the next week. Um, Get rid of anything that, you know, is not the best use of your time in the next week. So I want to do this um, every week. And if you do, I promise life will start feeling a lot more doable as you're carving out Mm. time for long-term projects before, you know, the night before they're due. Uh, You know, you have just a more holistic perspective on life. But as for Fridays, um, because this is the part where people are like, well, why? (laughs) Why why Fridays? Um, And there is an answer. Um, First of all, if you work a Monday through Friday sort of week, Many people are sliding into the weekends by Friday afternoon. It is very hard to use this time well. Uh, We don't want to start anything new, but we might be willing to think about what future us should be doing. So by taking a few minutes to plan the upcoming week on Friday afternoon, you can turn what would likely be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. Um, The other upside of Friday versus, say, Sunday, which isn't when a lot of people I know do their planning, is that it's business hours. So if you need to set up a meeting with someone, if you need to make an appointment somewhere, whatever, you're you're more likely to get someone on the phone or get a response or be able to, you know, call a receptionist somewhere and set something up than on Sunday where you're you're just not going to be able to do that. Um, Planning on Friday allows you to use all of Monday. Um, Many people have more energy toward the start of things. Um, So you want to use that Monday morning execution energy for doing stuff rather than planning. Because if you plan on Monday, you can't really start anything till Monday later. And then if you're checking out on Friday, we've just shortened our week quite a bit, right? So we want to make sure we have more time to actually do productive work. And you know, the final reason is that uh, even people who really like their jobs uh, often feel a little bit of trepidation, anxiety on Sundays if you work a Monday through Friday week. Um, And often that's, you know, a lot of stuff is waiting for you in the coming week. You know, you have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things that have to get done, but you don't have a handle on what you need to do or how you're going to handle all of it. And so by planning your week on Friday, you end the week with knowledge of how you will deal with everything for the next week. And that gives you a little bit more mental space to relax over the weekend and not be so worried about it. Oh, I love it. How does Laura Vanderkam plan her week? <laughs> you know, exploring this advice for, uh, you know, eight books, eight books now? This is it's, your eight? It's a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an impressive body of work for sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious, do you have kind of a, a workflow or a, a series of steps that you personally go through on Friday afternoon? Or I, is it kind of like a, a bit looser than that? I do. Um, and, and you know, I really do enjoy planning because it gives me a sense of um, as much control as possible, given how uncontrollable life is in many yeah. ways. Um, I sit down and I open my planner uh, and I set my priorities for the upcoming week. I look so paper planner? Paper planner. I look at my calendar for the upcoming week. Some things are on there that are already priorities, right? That's 
kind of the nature of life. Many times you've scheduled things ahead of time that you know will be a top priority for the upcoming week. And other times it's things that I want to assign myself. So um, for instance, I just got a research report on, um, you know, I did a time tracking study of lots of people track their time for a week and I wanted to see how that affected people. And so now I have some quantitative results on, on how in fact it does affect people for tracking their time for a week. And so I need to read through that report. So that, for instance, is a professional goal for the upcoming week. It's not on my calendar, but now it is, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, now I've said it's, a, it's, you know, something I'm doing in the next week. Uh, and so I do that with the various spheres of my life. Um, I also do a fair amount of logistical planning, um, just the nature of, I have um, five children and so they need to be various places and have things that they need to do, various things that go on in their lives and so managing this, this household. Yeah. Um, but I plan all that. Um, you know, send out marching orders to anyone who who needs them, uh, who works with me in various capacities, and and then I'm I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's it's actually not that long a process. It's almost both the personal and professional. It tends to be less than an hour. Um, you know, the professional itself is definitely fewer than thirty minutes, and I think many people can get to that over time, um, mm-hmm. especially as as you do this again and again, because then you start putting stuff on your calendar for the future that then will be the priority for that week. So it takes even less time to, to plan. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And in the book, you also write, of course, you know, taking 20 minutes out of 168 hours to plan the other 167.67 hours seems like a reasonable task. <laughs> it's hard not to agree with that. Is there a name for this paper planner that you use? I'm sure people <laughs> will, will want to know. I have, well, I have a Whitney English uh, planner. Okay. Um, I'm going to buy but this. I'm not promising like that will solve all your problems. It's, yeah. more what you do, <laughs> it's more what you do with a planner than that you have a planner. And for many, many years, I used a notebook from Target um, because I just needed somewhere to make a list of my priorities. And then I would, on the opposite page, designate those for the seven days of the week, you know, what I was doing on each given day or the things that could float between them. Um, So, you know, that was all I needed. Um, And then uh, my co-host on the Best of Both Worlds podcast, Sarah Hart Unger, also has a podcast called Best Laid Plans that is devoted to plans and planning. So she found me an upgraded version of my notebook from Target that had basically what I had designed already there. And so then I could just use that. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, f- I feel on some level, yeah, the planner will only help you so much. You do need the techniques. Like Laura Va- Vanderkam recommending a planner feels like uh, a, a great photographer recommending a camera. <laughs> you know, you, you might <laughs> not You might be get good to, stuff out of it. Yeah, but <laughs> you'll get the occasional good shot, but overall, you know, might be pictures of like feet and like it, you're putting it into your pocket <laughs> yes, and stuff. It's it's not the camera and it's not the planner. It's yeah. it's what you do with it. <laughs> and uh, but B, I'm gonna buy this planner before this uh, podcast uh, drops. So so there's actually some in, in stock. Um, but uh, but one w- one other rule I love uh, it, on top of the the planning ritual that I think people should hear is how three times a week is a habit. Because I, I feel we're so hard on ourselves when we're trying to form these new habits and making changes. And this rule, it seems to give people a lot of permission to ease up on themselves when they're making changes. 
So yeah, this is rule number four. Three times a week is a habit. And this is an extension of the concept of thinking of life in terms of weeks. Because many times when people start a habit, they're like, well, I need to do this every day. And, and for a great many things in life, we, we aren't going to wind up doing them every single day for, for many good reasons. But that doesn't mean that they are inaccessible to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as an example, some people are like, well, I want to eat family dinners. And then, you know, somebody has ice skating lessons and somebody has karate and two parents were working late on different nights. You know, it's like, it's not happening at 6 PM every night, Monday through Friday, but it doesn't have to. Um, Can you have three family meals in the course of the week? Um, I maintain anything that happens three times a week is happening regularly in your life and can be a part of your identity. And oftentimes when people think about whatever, habits they want to have in their lives, the things they want to do regularly in their lives, they often are doing them occasionally. Like when I surveyed people about this, I mean, a solid majority identified something they wanted to do more of. And I asked when they'd last done it, they had either done Mm -hmm. it in the last week or they had, you know, overwhelming majority had done it in the last month. So it's Mm. not that it never happened. It just didn't happen as much as people wanted. And there is a huge difference between none and not as much as I want. And once you can get your head around not as much as I want, Mm. then you can start asking good questions. How can I scale this up just a little bit? And getting to three times a week is probably an achievable goal. Um, So as you are planning your week on Friday, see if whatever habit you would like to have can you do this three times a week? You know, you're starting an exercise habit. Well, maybe you would like to go to the gym every day, given that that may not happen in your life. Can you identify three times that you would like to do it? Um, Would you like to have three family meals in the course of the week? Or maybe it's um, practicing a musical instrument or writing, um, doing some creative writing. Can you carve out three times per week to do it? And if you can, awesome. Um, and and then you can start having this as, as part of your identity. And once we approach from this perspective of like, this is part of my identity. I am mm-hmm. a person who writes, who plays the piano, who has family meals, who exercises. You become even more motivated to continue finding that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, And this is something that I, I love about your work in general is how you accommodate for reality. Because, uh, well, I'm sure you're familiar with all the time management advice out there that sounds incredible in theory, but then it then it meets the reality of life and then it, it all goes out the window, right? The road to hell is paved with, with good intentions and probably good time management advice. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, I see, think of certain things which sound really good. I mean, you know, people say like, don't miss more than once. Okay, well, that sounds great. But if our if our baseline is daily, many people think they have daily habits but don't do them on Saturday and Sunday. So mm-hmm. right there, you've already missed twice in a row, and yet people sort of assume that's okay, right? Like, you know, we already have it built into our lives for many things that we don't do a habit more than once in a row, but we still consider it a habit. Like, you consider going to work a habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and yeah. yet you miss more than once over and over again, right? You miss two days um, for many people with a sort of Monday through Friday work schedule. So I'm just saying we need to think about what life looks like. And, and I do certain things daily. Um, you know, I brush my teeth daily. I'm sure many of your listeners do as well. Some um, of them. Not, some not of them. All some of them. them. Yeah. Uh, it's true. It's a podcast. We don't know anyone's oral hygiene. <laughs> yeah. We're not seeing it. But uh, there are certain things I do every single day. And, and that's fine if, if it works for you to do that. But in order, 
order for something to be a daily habit, it pretty much has to be like brushing your teeth. Namely, it takes like two minutes. <laughs> and it's very easy. Like you carry the supplies with you whenever you travel. You know, if, that's what it takes for something to be daily. And if something isn't going to fit into that category, then then three times a week is, is often um, a very good goal. Love it. Yeah, you write in the book, uh, quote, with uh, the three times a week uh, is a habit mindset. We start to look at time more holistically and at our lives more compassionately. We give ourselves credit for what we are doing and we look for little ways to scale up without the pressure of aiming for daily. Uh, three times a week is a habit gives us a doable goal for developing a desired identity. And yeah, I just love the realism of that, even if it means my uh, Uber Eats orders are technically a habit by this definition. <laughs> and uh, w- one other example I love of kind of this realism and accommodating reality uh, was uh, this this technique of having a backup slot in, in the schedule for more breathing room throughout the week. And th- this is something I'm most definitely going to begin doing, especially during busier times, Um, I'm curious to hear you share this tactic, how it lets us build a bit more white space into our schedule for unexpected things. Um, I I don't know if you recall the healthcare story you were sharing, but I found that that fascinating uh, in in how it allowed a a hospital to to develop more of a capacity by doing a similar kind of uh, uh, thing. Yeah, I sometimes read these anecdotes and I'm like, ooh, that, I got to use that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy you did. Yeah, this was rule number five. And I, I think I had come, I had read that anecdote in the, the book Slack or some um, business okay. articles that had been written. Com- or uh, some, No, it's not Slack. But anyway, the book that dealt with that concept. Yeah. Uh, and, and basically the idea is that having extra capacity it almost always gets used because life is unpredictable. So in this case, a hospital had its operating rooms booked to 100% capacity, um, which sounds like what you should do to, you know, serve patients and yeah. um, make revenue and all, all the good sort of stuff. But what happens when somebody needs emergency surgery, which is not an unusual occurrence in medicine, right? Like, you know, people people need surgery that you didn't know they were going to need, um, you know, 24 hours ahead of time. And so what would happen is when somebody needed emergency surgery, other procedures would get bumped if they weren't emergencies. And so people would be waiting for hours to, to get seen. And, um, you know, the doctors would like be doing surgeries at 2 a.m. that could have been done at, you know, 2 p.m. and when they probably would have been in a, in a better state. And so, you know, what they decided to do is to leave one operating room unscheduled. And, you know, on some level, that sounds kind of crazy because, you know, you're already booked at 100% capacity. Uh, you know, your people are already waiting to be seen. But by leaving one open, that could accommodate the emergency surgeries for the most part, and then everything else could go as planned. Uh, and, and so then, you know, it reduced waiting times, uh, and the doctors could, could see people at, at better times when they were more alert, which, you know, I don't know that they talked about this, but you know, the hospital doesn't want to admit that maybe things were unsafe before, but yeah, yeah, it, it, would, yeah. it would matter. Um, and, and so that's what we want to do in our lives as well. Uh, for anything that is important, you want to schedule the equivalent of a rain date. And if you think about a rain date, there's really such a brilliant concept. If you have an outdoor event 
scheduled and they have a rain date, the organizers are acknowledging that much can go predictably wrong outside, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's right there in the rain date name. Like it could rain, like imagine that. Uh, But there's no question of whether the event will be rescheduled or for when. It will be for the rain date. And so you know that if you want to do this thing, you don't schedule anything unmovable in the second slot. And by having a backup slot, you vastly increase the chances of the original event happening, even when not originally planned. So, you know, people people get very discouraged in life because they have these grand plans to do things, and then life happens. Something comes up. People are like, oh, well, I meant to, you know, carve out time to write that proposal for a new client, but you know, then an existing client had an emergency and I had to deal with it. Or I was going to meet with this employee who I know, you know, really needs the encouragement and we were going to carve out time to do that. But then, you know, something else exploded. We had to deal with that. Or, you know, maybe it's you've carved out time for a special day with one of your kids and then it rains or somebody gets sick. And and these things get so discouraging because it's like we meant to do well. And then life happened. But Mm -hmm. it is not a surprise that life happened. Life always happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish I'd lived in other people's universes where they can't anticipate anything going wrong. Right? Like, yeah. Who would have thought there was going to be traffic on the way to the airport? Who would have thought it would have rained today? Who would have thought that somebody would have gotten sick or they, you know, that vendor would have dropped the ball or whatever else? And, you know. What? I have a family? <laughs> and I have a family. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So better to build our schedules acknowledging that. I think real time management masters don't create perfect schedules, they create resilient schedules. And they Mm -hmm. have the ability to keep moving forward with their goals, even when life doesn't go as planned. And Chris, I think I've written about your story with this in the past of your working (laughs) ahead on um, your your book, The The Productivity Project, right? Uh, Yeah. That that then when you you had an an accident um, and were, were injured, you were able to still turn your book in on time. Yeah. Yeah, if there's no redundancy, there's no <laughs> there's no slack and uh, no freedom uh, as a result. And yeah, that was that was the process of just kind of getting ahead of the deadline, writing the first book, and making sure uh, there's enough uh, of a buffer in case something unexpected happened. Um, and, and this is, you know, it, it was definitely inspired by your work at the time because you cut to this uh, this core of time management. I, I think what it's all about. Um, not just kind of making things efficient, but you know, you also write uh, on the creating a backup slot chapter. Um, it, I know this sounds harsh, but when you assume that something will come up and you build space to deal with that, then it schedule woes ha- hold less power over your life. And I love that. So it's ultimately about freedom. Like I, I'm, I'm curious, like your philosophy overall with time management. Um, it, what it, what's the point of managing our, our time? Well, our lives are lived in hours. And so what our lives look like is a function of how we spend our hours. And so we want to spend our hours on those important things that are meaningful and enjoyable for ourselves and the people we care about. And in order to make sure we have space for those, given that life will intervene, we often need to carve out more space than we think we need for these priorities. Um, So that even if they can't happen when we first thought they would, there's another additional option. And so we don't have to necessarily just let them go. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Love it. 
so another one of the, the things I really liked about the book is uh, how you measure the impact that the nine tactics had on participants. So it's not, you know, it's not just advice pulled out of the ether. It's, it's connected with uh, participants in, in reality. And you're right about how with another one of the tactics, uh, effortful before effortless, that people were able to make huge leaps in how happy they were with how they spent their leisure time. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious how much of an effect you saw with this tactic and what this one's about. I, I loved this one as well. Yeah. Rule number nine, effortful before effortless. This is about looking at our leisure time. And even the busiest people have some leisure time. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, for many of us, it comes at low energy time. So at night after your kids go to bed or after you've done your chores, you've worked all day, um, it, it can also come in short unpredictable spurts during the day, um, you know, while you are waiting for a phone call to start or you're waiting to pick your kids up from soccer practice or something like that. And it is really hard to seize this time. So a lot of us wind up just doing whatever is right in front of us, which tends to be mm-hmm. scrolling around online. <laughs> you know, that's why yeah. social media people will look at their phone you know, screen tallies at the end of the week and be like, my Apple, my iPhone is lying to me. There's no way I was on it for three hours every day. I said, well, yeah. it's, it's probably not lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just that it revs in such small chunks or low energy chunks that it didn't even register as happening. Um, and there's nothing wrong with this sort of effortless fun. It definitely has its place. The problem is, you know, if you don't get hours and hours and hours of leisure time daily, the sheer fact of spending, you know, two hours online means it's shoved out anything else that you might have done with that time. And and many people say they would like to devote more time to reading or hobbies or, you know, interacting with friends. And they don't because they haven't seized that leisure time to do it. So this rule is about challenging yourself to do just a few minutes of something effortful before you engage in any sort of effortless variety. So if you're about to pick up your phone, um, you know, read three minutes in an ebook and and then go scroll around on Twitter or, um, you know, at night, you know, do 20 minutes in a puzzle and then go watch Netflix for an hour. I mean, that's, that's totally fine. And one of two things will happen. Like either you'll get so into your effortless, effortful fun that you will just keep going with it. Like you'll get so into that murder mystery that you will never wind up over at Twitter and that's fine. Um, (laughs) But But even if you do, like even if you do 20 minutes of a puzzle and then go watch Netflix for hours, like you've still gotten to do both. Whereas if you start with the Netflix, you're not going to stop it in the middle and go do your puzzle. Like you won't. Um, So so this is how you can sort of create a better balance in your leisure time. And you mentioned that the people in my study, I had 150 people try out these rules for nine weeks. Um, Each week they would learn a rule, they would implement it. They would report back a week later. I could measure them on various dimensions in the course of the the nine weeks. I'm happy to report people were significantly happier with how they spent their leisure time. Um, you know, they were they were definitely more satisfied with that. But they were also um, they felt they were wasting less time because they weren't doing these things. So I mean, the, their scores and my time satisfaction scale. I had this you know scale of this, but answers to the question uh, or agreement with the statement, yesterday, I didn't waste time on things that weren't important to me, rose 32% over the course of the nine weeks. And I I suspect it's largely because of this rule. This was about getting rid of time wasters um, or or not getting rid of them, but keeping them in their proper place. Yeah, it it was... So the the people that follow your work are you know obviously in into time management. They're into the advice that you're giving, and I'm guessing they practice it, it 
you know, to a, a, a high degree. But I was still surprised that in the chapter you write that uh, people averaged 48.8 minutes per weekday on social media and 57.6 minutes a day on weekends. And, you know, this, this would be a highly conscientious group of people, I'd imagine, too. And TV that estimates uh, average 44 uh, minutes on weekdays, 79 minutes on weekends. Were you surprised by these numbers or no? I'm not really surprised um, because people send me time logs, too. I mean, yeah, I've yeah. had, you know, thousands yeah. of my readers and listeners have tracked their time for a week. They've sent me their logs. I've looked at them. And yeah, even even busy people do screen time. And, and again, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, that's terrible. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, those averages that you were citing there are way under the population average, yeah. right? And that's a function yeah. of, of how busy my, my readers are. Um, many people are working full-time jobs, raising families, um, involved in their communities. So it's not like there's a ton of discretionary time in their lives. But I think what makes people feel most, um, you know, unhappy with with these realizations, you know, if you've got tons and tons of discretionary time, it doesn't matter if you're spending some amount of time online or watching shows you don't care about. But if you do yeah. have a limited amount of time, you want to make sure that you are using it. I mean, I think leisure time is is too precious to be totally leisurely about it. I mean, we yeah. want to we want to think about how we can spend it so that we can be intentional and mindful and use this time for things that truly are rejuvenating, as opposed to you know looking at some influencer wearing a pair of pants that I will never fit into. And so, why am yeah. I even bothering you know <laughs> checking this out? I, I don't know why it was it was this chapter when I was reading it uh, last night. I was finishing up the book. And this chapter, after reading it, I bought a flip phone and I don't know why. Um, and and maybe it was kind of the culminate, seeing the, the, the stats of how the most, I would say some of the most conscientious people who spend their time well and follow your advice to begin with still spend about an hour a day on social media. Uh, if I can do anything to get that time back, uh, I'll go back to a flip phone for an hour a day. Yeah. Uh, more time. I, I don't know what it was, but I, I just kind of had the thought. I'm kind of over the smartphone. Yeah. You know, it hasn't really added much to my life. And I totally get that. I mean, I I enjoy social media. It's just for all of us. It's a matter of keeping it in its proper place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's better to sort of decide how much time per day you would like to spend on it. Yeah. Um, and and then limit yourself to that. And and partly the way you can limit yourself to that is by doing the effortful fun first, because then it crowds it out. Like, you know, again, if you're a busy person who only has two to three hours of discretionary time per day, if you're spending an hour of that reading and and, and 45 minutes on a puzzle, like there's just less time available. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that in and of itself can can crowd it out. Yeah. And, you know, one, one other strategy, the final one I want to ask you about is where we purposefully spend some time on adventure every week. And I loved this one too. And I'm going to work it in my planning session or later on uh, today. Um, and in, in the book, you write about how people rated this one is one of the most beneficial, but that it's also a, a more difficult one, even with all those benefits. So uh, what is the one big adventure, one little adventure rule to uh, cap things off? Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite rules too. I mean, I yeah. can't really say I have a favorite rule, but I, I, I definitely love this one. Um, and 
what it is, is, you know, a lot of adult life can be the same day to day. We have our routines and, and that's good because routines make good choices automatic. But the problem is when too much routine stacks up, days are not differentiated from each other and they sort of disappear mm. into these memory sinkholes. Like we don't remember what we were doing. There's nothing to make one day different from another. And so we want to make sure that time is more memorable so we remember it. Um, because having more memories of a given unit of time, in fact, makes it feel slower, makes it feel thicker and richer, like time isn't just passing you by. Um, so this rule is about achieving a good balance between having our routines and doing something a little bit different. So one big adventure, one little adventure each week. A big adventure can be three to four hours, think half a weekend day. Um, a little adventure, just an hour or less, uh, could be doable on a lunch break, a weekday evening, as long as it is something out of the ordinary. And these, you know, two adventures a week is not going to exhaust or bankrupt anyone. Like, I'm not saying you got to go sail like a Viking around the Norwegian fjords. That's that, that does not have to be your adventure for the week uh, yeah. you know, or, or anything overnight. I mean, that's great if you want to do that, but, but it doesn't have to be. But I think aiming for two a week will make life feel different. It won't be a mm. week just like any other week. It's like, oh no, that's the week we tried the new gelato place. That's the week where we went and had that picnic on the beach. That's the week where we went hiking in that state park. That's the week where you know we all went and tried that new arcade in the next town over that we'd never been to. You know, just anything along those lines. Um, but it makes time distinguishable from all the other days. And when we have a reason to remember time, then we remember it, right? Our brains yeah. hold on to those memories. We can conjure them up later. Um, and, and life takes on an entirely different feeling. Oh, incredible. And the, that we have only skimmed the surface today of the tactics, the strategies uh, in this incredible book, Tranquility by Tuesday. If you're listening to this right now, I highly, highly, highly recommend picking up the copy so you don't just get the, the tactics we could preview, but you get the whole thing. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Again, for anybody listening to this, I highly, highly recommend picking up a copy of Tranquility by Tuesday. The book is easily one of the best immediately implementable time management books that I've ever read. And I also think it's one of Laura's best, and that's really saying something. She's written what I consider to be eight classic books on time management, one on money as well, which uh, I just ordered the other day. I'm excited to dig into. And so if you haven't explored her body of work or you've just picked up a, a book or two, I highly recommend not just picking up Tranquility by Tuesday, but also one or two others that look interesting to you. Uh, she writes these these books where you get the time back that you spend inside of them and what's better than that. So uh, that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thank you again to Laura Vanderkam for being on the show. Arden and I will see you in a couple Tuesdays. 